It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Yes, some things are worth fighting for, and we've just had yesterday the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh. It's an amazing story. It happened in the middle of the night. It's a young guy from California, Nicholas John Rasky. Uh, he's from Simi Valley, 26 years old. Uh, came, he had burglary tools, he had special shoes, he had a gun, he had a knife, he had everything possible to break into uh, Brett Kavanaugh's home with his children sleeping and kill him. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this story is that Nicholas got was in a cab, and he got out of the cab dressed the way he was dressed, and he saw two uh, U.S. Marshals by, standing by a car in front of Kavanaugh's house, and he started walking away. And what I read was that he actually called then the police and confessed that he was there to kill Brett Kavanaugh. And that's how they arrested him. You know, it's not like the police grabbed him and arrested him, uh, seeing him get out of that cab. It didn't happen that way. And that's not a criticism of the police. I'm just telling you that's what I'm reading because it just seems uh, strange to me. And um, he's told the officers when they arrested him that he wanted to give his life purpose and purchase the gun and other items for the purpose of breaking into Kavanaugh's home and killing the justice and then killing himself. Uh, he told the detectives that he was upset about the leak of a recent Supreme Court draft decision regarding the right to an abortion. He was also upset about the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And he was uh, afraid that Kavanaugh would side with Second Amendment decisions that would loosen gun control laws. Now, is that not ironic on so many different levels? Of course, let's go to the shooting thing. The Second Amendment, the Uvalde shooting, he's upset about that, but he takes a gun to kill a justice and then kill himself. This is a stunning story, and it's sad for this shooter, this young man. I mean, you know, they'll probably he'll probably be out in 30 days. Maybe, you know, he won't get—believe me, he will not get the sentence that the J6 guys have gotten, but that's for another story on another day. Let's talk about this first. This is a very serious thing that just happened. And um, how how did this happen? Well, first of all, we had a somebody, some we think clerk, uh, and a, supposedly there's an investigation, which according to people that I know who um, are very familiar with the court and the workings of it, should have taken place in short order and been very easy to conduct. But here we are still, you know, wondering, you know, who could possibly have done that? And they keep telling us that, well, they are, they're looking for the phone records of those clerks to try to find out who it was. They just, it's just taking time, you know? And we have ideas of who it was. Uh, people on the inside have an idea, but evidently, whoever is investigating, or John Roberts, who's, you know, over that investigation, maybe doesn't want to get the answer. Maybe it's just too nice. You know, it's just not nice to expose whoever uh, ex uh, leaked that memo, which indicated 
indicated only because it was a draft opinion that the justices were going to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's what started all this. But that's, you know, that's not quite all of it. We know. Now, we're having some technical difficulties, so I can't play clips for you right now. But you heard in the opening, I think it was the news report, Chuck Schumer standing on court on the court. This was stunning. Standing on the steps of the court. It was uh, at, on an, the occasion of another abortion decision they were cons, uh, considering. And you heard him threaten. He said, "I'll, you know, we're coming after you, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh. You won't know what hit you." He sounded like a mug, like a, a thug, like a mafia um, hitman. I, I've never. I've, it was just amazing, and he's just smirking as he's saying it. That was the my majority leader in the Senate threatening sitting Supreme Court justices. We had never heard anything quite like that. And then, of course, we had uh, Jen Psaki, which uh, if you could hear the clip, she's saying it's, you know, you know, people have a right to protest. Um, as the protesters went out to all of the conservative Supreme Court justices' homes and started picketing, they, they released the names of the justices and their addresses and their families. And so the protesters, you know, Ruth sent us as one of the protesting organizations, went in front of their homes and, you know, dressed in red robes and holding up obscene signs and saying all kinds of things. And that was fine with Saki. It was also fine with uh, Pelosi. It was also fine with Chuck Schumer. If you, if we had, if I could play this for you, he said basically, hey, I have protesters in front of my house all the time. It's no big deal. But you know what? The problem is it is a very big deal. As a matter of fact, it's a felony uh, to do what they have done to the justices. And I don't mean the attempted murder. I mean to leak their addresses and to go to their homes for the purpose of intimidation. Supreme Court justices have to be completely independent. They are not elected for a purpose. It's a lifetime appointment, so they don't have to worry the our founding fathers had in mind that they wouldn't have to worry about running for office or pleasing the public, that they would, in fact, do what was right. And their job was to measure whatever Congress had done or whatever was happening in the culture that came before them against the principles of the Constitution, against the statutes passed by both houses, the Senate and the, the House and the, signed by the President. That was their sole duty. Well, they've changed, you know, they've decided to make law themselves in the last since Roe versus Wade, maybe some other decisions could be cited. They found rights in the Constitution that don't exist, and it's caused huge turmoil in this country. But let me just say that Schumer is not the only person that incited this violence. Does anybody think that that kind of language, you'll reap the whirlwind, Gorsuch, you'll reap the whirlwind, the whirlwind Kavanaugh, you're going to regret this, you won't know what's hit you. That's what the minority, the Senate majority leader in the Senate had to say on the steps of the Supreme Court building, what did one expect to happen? And, you know, you just have to say, the irony of this is so incredibly rich. It's almost as if God designed this because this is the kind of irony he does. I think of the Mordecai in the book of Esther uh, and uh, Haman uh, being hung on the uh, very noose that he prepared for Mordecai. Uh, the, the twist of events, and now there's nothing that drastic happening, but let me just say, today is the day that the January 6th committee is having their hearing at 8 o'clock tonight. And what they want to do is they really want to criminally charge Donald Trump 
for what happened on January the 6th. They call it an insurrection, and they want the former president to be charged with leading an insurrection, inciting, inciting an insurrection. And yet, if I could, we could reach it, I would play that clip for you where President Trump uh, said to the people in the January 6th, about an hour or two after it started, and he got word of it, he did a message, a video message, that Twitter took down five minutes after he posted it, asking them to go home, go home peacefully. What's happened here is not right, but go home. We don't want you to be in trouble. We don't want you to fall into some sort of a trap. Just go home. Basically, that's what he said. We also, I told you yesterday, now we have proof in writing uh, that there was a meeting in the White House two or three days before January the 6th uh, with uh, General Milley, uh, with uh, Kash Patel, and with other leaders of the security business of this country, whose titles I can't remember. And they, President Trump had them, they were talking about security threats and what they were going to do, but not about January 6th, not about anything else, other things. And as they were leaving, President Trump called them back and said to them, wait a second, we have to talk about something else. They sat down and he said, I want to have National Guard ready for January the 6th because I'm, we're concerned there's going to be trouble. So I want to authorize 20,000 troops to be present on January 6th. And guess what? Muriel Bowser said no. We have a paper trail on this right now. So they can accuse President Trump all they want of inciting that riot and causing it, uh, but and then ignoring what Chuck Schumer did by saying, you'll reap the whirlwind, you, you won't know what's hit you. Uh, I, uh, you tell me who is the insider in this situation. So it really is very rich. We also have Lori Lightfoot, uh, the mayor of Chicago. Uh, she tweeted um, after this leak from the, you know, the leaker, and we just can't seem to figure out who that was that leaked that draft opinion. But after that, Lori Lightfoot tweets, to my friends in the LGBTQ plus community, the Supreme Court is coming for us next. This moment has to be a call to arms. Oh, anybody think that might be an incitement? So, uh, so we have this guy from California coming, and this is really something to me. In spite of the trauma that must have taken place for Kavanaugh and his family, uh, just can you imagine his little children? Remember, we saw them in the courtroom during his uh, um, his hearings, his confirmation hearings. They were so sweet. And you can only imagine what a knife or dagger it is to his heart. He's already seems to be kind of a fearful person. So, you know, I guess they have the right target if they want to scare someone. But they're, they're targeting all of them, all the conservatives. So what did they do uh, in the afternoon after of the same day that this guy was arrested for attempted murder on Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh uh, this Ruth's... Ruth sent us group is marching in front of his house with vile, vulgar things. Uh, they're tweeting all kinds of vulgar. They're chanting, keep your rosaries off my ovaries. That's the nicest thing I can repeat. Uh, in a post on Twitter, they said they were offering thoughts and prayers to Justice Kavanaugh and his wife, Ashley. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. They just all kinds of vile things. And there they are. And guess who's not doing anything about it. Notice the silence of the Justice Department. Oh, they've made some rumblings after the attempted murder. I mean, you know that 100% the Senate voted after these the protesters went to the houses and the addresses were released to the public of these justices and protesters started coming to their houses. Um, the Senate passed by 100% to protect to beef up the security for Supreme Court justices. Guess what? 
It's been sitting in the House for at least a month, with Nancy Pelosi not moving on it. And you'll notice, did I say? I don't think I did. I don't think I got to the part that told you that there is a statute uh, that makes picketing in in front of a Supreme Court justice's home or threatening them in any way is a federal, it's a felony. It is a felony. And yet the Justice Department is just twiddling their thumbs and not allowing any of that to happen. By the way, you wonder how the media is covering this. The New York Times had 16 news stories in its edition yesterday morning in front of the story about the attempted assassination of a sitting Supreme Court justice. The New York Times, 16 stories. Now, they reported it, but it's a matter of emphasis. And trust me, that matters. That's a big signal. This is what I found out years ago when I started doing this, is the most important parts of the story from the liberal press are usually in the last two or three paragraphs. And that's why you, I can't, even now, I can't just read the first page or so because it, I can't trust that. I have to read the whole thing. Um, so this is what some are calling for. Scott Parkinson of Club for Growth is saying, enough, we need every single justice on the Supreme Court to stand up for the safety of all justices. Notice who else has been silent. We've heard nothing from Sotomayor, nothing from Justice Kagan, nothing from Justice Beyer, and nothing from incoming Justice Jackson. Not a word. Not a word. Not telling people to stand down. It is their people, after all, who are out there in the streets picketing. Not saying a word. And you know this group that says Ruth sent us? I find it really, you know, I don't think Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have, I think she would have been outraged. You know, she and Justice Scalia were very good friends. They had a very collegial relationship. They were able to disagree on the issues and still maintain their friendship. I don't think for a minute Ruth Bader Ginsburg would be down with protesters uh, threatening uh, outside of uh, her friend Justice Scalia's home. I just don't believe that. I think they're totally wrong about that. All right, well, so I want to tell you, people are suggesting that we contact the Supreme Court. If you think you'd like to do that, I'm going to give you the number. And uh, you can just ask Uh, Kagan, Sotomayor, and Breyer, why are you silent? Why are you silent? The phone number is this, 202-479-3000. Call call the Supreme Court. Respectfully, you can be angry and, you know, still be respectful, okay? So why? Why are you silent? Why are you silent about what's happening? All right, I'll be right back because more things are happening. I guess you knew that, right? Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Well, after two years of COVID shutdown, Israel is open for business again. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. And you know, my wife, Allison, and I, we've been leading tour groups to Israel now for 20-plus years. And we're going to be joined by our sons, Wesley and Walker, as the family tradition continues in 2023. And we would love for you to come along with us. The trip is in March 2023. The dates, the cost, the itinerary, everything you need to know is at twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful experience to travel with Christians from across the country to Israel and see the land where Jesus walked, where the Bible comes to life. Again, visit twholyland.com for all the information. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses. 
watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MetaShare has a new option called MetaShare 65+. MetaShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MetaShare 65+, is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. Hey, this is Evangelist Nick Hall coming this summer. Together 22, 50 years ago, Explo 72, led by Billy Graham, rallied an entire generation to share the gospel. This summer, June 24th and 25th, we're doing it again. And it's free. Together 22 will feature some of the biggest names in Christian music, some of the best preachers coming to equip you. More information at Pulse.org. There's a big problem in America, folks. Most millennials do not have a biblical worldview. You say, Todd, why is that a big problem? Well, take a good look at what's happening in the streets of American cities, the chaos and the carnage, evidence of a morally bankrupt society. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University conducted a survey that showed only 2% of millennials share a biblical worldview. Now, a biblical worldview means believing that absolute moral truth exists and that truth is defined by the Bible. It would be wise to remember the words of John Adams, our second president. He once said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Be sure to listen to my national radio show live, noon to 3 Eastern, or download my free podcast at ToddStarns.com. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Do you an executive order? Trump passed those out like Halloween candy. Yes, sir. It, well, it, I isn't that something that could happen? Well, I, I, I have issued executive orders within the power of the presidency to be able to deal with these, everything having to do with guns, gun ownership, whether or not you have to have a waiting, but all, all the things that were within my power. But what I don't want to do, and I'm not being facetious, I don't want to emulate Trump's abuse of the Constitution and the constitutional authority. And, and so, and I mean that sincerely, because I often get asked, look, the Republicans don't play it square, why do you play it square? Yeah. Well, well, guess what? If we do the same thing they do, our democracy will literally be in jeopardy. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm not a joke. And I, I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules? Well, you've got to send them to jail, uh, you know. There's <laughs> <laughs> that little box in there. Directly to jail? <laughs> go directly to jail. The president is with us. Joseph Biden will be right back. The president of the United States on Jimmy Kimmel is just wonderful. We'll send him to jail. Our opponents, if they don't do what we think they should, we'll send them to jail. Well, there are a lot of people that are in jail because of that uh, flippant response, because of that callousness. And a lot of them are in jail. A lot of wonderful, good people are in jail suffering 
uh, because of the policies of this administration. So that's more than a joke. Uh, tonight, the J6, the committee, is holding their hearings live at 8 o'clock. Everybody tune in because it's going to be a really big show. So I'm going to spend the time I have here not really talking too much about what I expect they're going to do. I want to tell you what they won't do, and I want to put this, I'm going to give you information that you won't get tonight, I guarantee you. You won't get information like what I'm going to give you. I want to start with this. I had it from yesterday. Steve Deese is a radio, uh, radio talk show host he used to, from Iowa. I've known Steve for a long time. He does a great job. He's a great writer and a great thinker. Uh, he got a, a, an email, a letter from a J6er, and we get so many of those too. But this is really uh, very moving, and I want to read uh, parts of this to you. Now, remember that as they do their hearing tonight, they think that all of these people in jail are insurrectionists. That's what they want to say. Uh, they want President Trump to be arrested and incarcerated himself, and they want anyone who supported him or loves the Constitution, claims they're America first, to be painted with the same brush. That is the end game. Uh, and uh, take away all of your rights to be able to voice your opinion on social media, eventually your bank accounts, and you know the rest. If you watch, if you watch history, you know anything about totalitarianism. That is where we're going. Just to be very clear, and uh, I want to say once, one more time, please, that you cannot be neutral on this because you will not be allowed to be neutral, even if those of us who want to be nice to you. Uh, don't make you take a position. The left will not be nice to you, and you will have to take a position. And this, there's really a lesson to be learned in this letter. This is, again, to Steve Deese. Uh, he says, uh, this is a, a J6er. He said, I listen to your podcast and follow Julie Kelly. It's every bit as bad as she describes. I'm a husband and a father who has zero criminal history, and I'm looking at years in prison after I took a plea. You may ask why people take a plea if they're innocent. Innocent has nothing to do with this, as my lawyer has told me over and over again. This is payback. There are only a handful of representatives in D.C. that care about us. The vast majority couldn't care less. They secretly despise Trump and anyone on the 6th as well. The DOJ knows this. There will be no reform of this government. There will be no going back. All there is now is the path ahead. But that path will never lead back to the country we once were. I watched for four years as our government that I pay taxes for tried to impeach and even oust our president with sheer impunity. Hillary's smearing stunt morphed into a coup that lasted Trump's entire term. Then I watched the election get stolen from the American people. I went to D.C. to support the way I thought best. I wasn't violent. I didn't break anything. I didn't steal anything, and that doesn't matter. I lost my six-figure income, friends. My family is a wreck. I had the FBI in my home. I was brought before the judge in shackles. And I'm a lucky one. I get to remain free till sen sentencing. So this is the country that I now live in, where the powerful few can attack an elected president attempting to remove him for four years, and where elections no longer matter. We are no longer free, and this country was taken without firing a shot. Guns are meaningless at this point. It was the First Amendment that people should have been fighting for. I am now barely making a living doing manual labor for just over a minimum wage until my sentence is over. I was threatened with 20 years in prison, something only murderers face. We couldn't change the venue, and none of the motions to dismiss were accepted. So at the pleading of my wife, the extreme bias of D.C. and its, quote, jury pool of my peers, end quote, and advice from my lawyer, I destroyed a part of me. 
and signed a paper full of exaggerations, lies, and more importantly, a narrative that fits what they want. I hate to leave this moving thing just to make a comment, but I must tell you that this is the operation that they've done on all of the J6ers, and many of them have signed uh, these statements that they disavow what they did, they disavow their notion that the election was not stolen, I'm not sure what other points are in there, but that's certainly a key part of it. So evidently this particular prisoner signed that. I am a Christian, and somehow I feel damned. I lied to save my family. My pastor tells me about rehab, but it doesn't help. I don't look at myself in the mirror anymore. A part of me is dead now. I now wake up longing for the Lord to take me. January 6th was a dark day. There was violence by some. That's reprehensible. No one should have broken anything or stolen anything or hurt anyone. Having said that, January 6th should be remembered as the last outburst from people who were sick of the coup against Trump. The lies about Russia, the double standard of the Bidens, and how they obtained their wealth compared to the treatment of Trump, the double standard of the Black Lives Matter rioters and everyone else, the forced LGBT, uh, um, I can't read this word, it's blocked out, into our children's minds at school while trying to shut out God at every corner, uh, the celebration of abortions, the government spending, um, if the lifelong debt, the list goes on. This was the last cry for the death of a nation. I don't know what's going to happen to my family while I'm in for, in for years. My wife has depended on me our whole marriage. She is the only woman I have ever been with, the only woman I've ever loved. I hope she and my kids can make it without me. I am a J6er and I'm going to prison. So when you see that circus tonight taking place with those privileged people sitting on that platform, meeting out judgment on the people that you are hearing from on a daily basis, you remember them and cry out to God for justice. I know that God will bring justice. I am not worried. There will be justice. I just it would be great for us to see some of it, wouldn't it? And I pray that. Lord, help us to see some of that. Give us some of that justice while we're here. Let us see some of this rectified. Let the worm turn. Let the Haman thing happen to the wicked people who would destroy uh, innocent people. It's just unbelievable. And if I had the ear of this J6er who wrote this to, to Steve Deese, I would say this. I would make a point, two points. I'll make the hard point first. This is the point I try to make to all of you. There is no compromising. There is no compromising. There's no signing a statement and getting it behind you. There's no agreeing. There's no you know neutrality. There's none. And when you concede, it's uh, it sucks you into the vortex of worse things. You must stand strong. You must not equivocate. You must speak the truth. You must not do what he tells you plainly he regrets doing. What I would say to him, if I knew his name and had contact with him, is that there is nothing God can't forgive. Speaking spiritually, there is nothing God can't forgive. Does anybody remember Peter? Denying Jesus himself, not once, not twice, but three times? And yet Peter became a leader in the church. And I would say to this man, young man, he's younger than I am, do not 
cave under the lies of the enemy who tells you you cannot be forgiven and this is over because you made this terrible mistake. Uh, and so I, I hope maybe someone can tell him that, uh, but that's the perspective, and it's for all of you to hear. All right, uh, there's another story that I have to tell you because, again, I'm trying to tell you things that you might not hear. You certainly won't hear them tonight. You won't hear how an internal Capitol Police review found that sweeping intelligence and security failures on Pelosi's watch. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a setup. It was an incredible setup. I will make, uh, I'm not saying that every person that supported Trump went into that Capitol and didn't do anything they shouldn't have done. I can't say that, but my gut tells me after looking in this that very few of them did anything other than try to protect and defend people, especially in that tunnel where they were being beaten actually by police and where police were shooting off firebombs and harming people who were just standing there singing, waving the flags. It's just, it, that's the whole, that's the part of the story you will not get tonight. All right. I want to remind you, uh, I remember this, um, this, I played this, I believe for you guys, I certainly posted it. I don't know where this video comes from because we're getting it from different sources, but uh, there was a video and it's a group of uh, people dressed in black. There's probably about 30 of them. Their faces are covered. They're totally in black and they are sneaking in through a door or breaking through a door. I can't really tell that part. They're already, the door's already open. Uh, I don't even know where it was in the Capitol, but this is a description. The video's playing and this is a description. Whoever does this, I don't know, but let's listen. Clip 10. I want you to pay attention to the first group of assailants as they break into the building. The second man through the window is wearing full tactical body armor and is carrying a baseball bat. All right, so that's just a short clip from someone uh, that happened on that day. And if you watched it, you'd be amazed. I mean, they come in like ants, all dressed in black, and they've got all kinds of, I don't know if they're, I don't know what they're carrying. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of arm they have, but they have like like poles and like batons. Uh, so uh, then this is one that's new to me. This is new to me. I just read this this morning, and I see that it was published May the 20th. I did not see this. And so this is important. This was in the Epoch Times. And I'm going to read this to you because uh, because you need to hear it. I have not heard of Bobby Powell. Bobby is a journalist who went to the Capitol on January the 6th, He's semi-retired. He's from Michigan. Uh, he has um, he's he's got a podcast called "The Truth Is Viral." All right, so he he it was just going to be his swan song. He was going to go on January sixth and do all this recording of the event and come back and talk about it on his podcast. But to his amazement, he caught things that seem it seems as though uh, was missed by the J six committee. Let me read this. Powell it has. He has this video, and he can't get anyone to look at it. Powell has learned that his video isn't welcome in many places. Some people view it as a threat. In Michigan, he said a politician friend suggested he take a six-figure bribe to keep quiet. When he flatly refused, he said his life was was threatened. It's 29 minutes, it's a high-definition video, and it's turned Powell's life upside down. He was in Washington the day that the a credentialed, as a credentialed reporter representing his podcast, The Truth is Viral, and radio station WCHY in Sheboygan, Michigan. After he called the FBI on January 15th, an agent from the Bureau's Joint Terrorism Task Force called him back and took his information. He also contacted the U.S. Secret Service and the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. He provided the address to his website where the agents could view his video and offered to come in for interviews. And even at, after nearly a half dozen follow-ups with the FBI and other agency, there has been 
no reply from any law enforcement officer. He also thought photos of the men would eventually appear among the 1,558 individuals on the FBI's January 6th Most Wanted page. That never happened, nor have they been arrested or charged. And this is, uh, he says, these are two men that are pulling windows out of the Capitol and pushing people inside the doors. Okay, so why isn't the FBI interested? The FBI had no comment on the ongoing investigation. That's what they said to Epoch Times when they tried to ask them about the Powell's claims. Meanwhile, Powell has posted a video link to the Twitter page of the U.S. Capitol Police with the question, who are these men? About five minutes later, his Twitter account was permanently suspended. Twitter didn't respond by press time to request for a comment about the action. Google, meanwhile, demonetized his Truth is Viral YouTube page, and Facebook took down his live streams and drastically cut the reach of his videos. Pal has been broadcasting since 2008 on the Internet. Based on what he said he witnessed on January the 6th, the grizzled radio veteran and honorably discharged Marine believes the men in the video are FBI or other government agents who were assigned to draw then-President Donald Trump supporters into the Capitol building so they could be arrested. He said, I've been giving speeches in New York, North Carolina, Florida for the January 6th defendants, and you know, I flat out come out and say, the FBI led the insurrection of the Capitol. I have proof, and you know, the FBI didn't want to hear anything about it. Defense attorney Brad Geyer sees great value in Powell's video. He is in the process of defending the Oath Keepers. Uh, the Oath Keepers defendant, Ken Harrelson. Remember that they've been charged with sedition now. Um, most of those on Geyer's list uh, were located at or near the Columbus doors on the east side of the Capitol. Um, you know what? There's the music, and I, I'm not through reading this. Uh, and you know, I may not have a chance to open the phone lines today, you guys. Uh, if I can, I will, but this to me is very important. Uh, And I, I, by the way, this article is a video show, unindicted, suspicious actors attacking Capitol on January the 6th. It's the Epoch Times. We'll put this on our getter page, but we'll come back to it after this break. Because uh, as you're watching those hearings tonight, I want you to be able to share with your friends the counter story on this. And by the way, the internal Capitol Police Review, that's in just the news. Uh, It found sweeping intelligence security failures on Pelosi's watch. Uh, So that's another article that we can provide to you uh, that will help you make the case to your friends after this hearing tonight. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit engagemagazine.net. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live. 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls. So plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. 
God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. San Francisco Mayor London Breed announced her five-year plan to end homelessness in her city. Well, that is transgender homelessness. I wish I was kidding. She literally announced a $6.5 million budget proposal to end homelessness within the next five years for the transgendered, the gender nonconforming, and LGBTQ plus youth in Frisco. So what about the homeless San Franciscans who don't fit any of the aforementioned categories? Any hope for them? Any recent visitors to San Francisco will tell you their streets teem with excrement, largely deposited by homeless people. Mayor Breed has shown that excrement also comes from the mayor's office. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. When an unplanned pregnancy happens to a mom in crisis, preborn clinics are there. I was extremely scared. The father did not want the child, and he had made me choose him or the baby. This mother chose life after meeting with preborn counselors and seeing her baby on ultrasound. I just felt so blessed and the hand of God on me so strong. And I knew then on I was going to serve God and I was going to keep this child and I was going to love him just like God loved me so unconditionally. Preborn centers met this mom in her darkest hour, helping her to choose not only life for her baby, but life in Jesus. He was our little miracle child. God's timing was impeccable. Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in America, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, visit preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. As a young man, I had the privilege of working for five years for a great Democratic senator named Henry Scoop Jackson. He would not recognize his party today and probably would not be willing to be associated with its agenda. Take, for example, the Democrats' studied silence at best towards the threatening behavior of pro-abortion activists towards conservative Supreme Court justices, including making public the location of their homes and unlawfully demonstrating outside them. We learned yesterday of the predictable upshot of that criminal activity. Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh was the object of an assassination attempt. Scoop Jackson would surely lead the way in decrying such behavior as he did any threat to our national and homeland security. The failure of his counterparts in today's Senate to do the same implicates them in those threats and disqualifies them from leadership positions. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I know you heard we had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election and everyone knows it especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. It's a very tough period of time. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election, but we can't play into the hands of these people. 
We have to have peace. So go home. We love you. You're very special. You've seen what happens. You see the way others are treated that are so bad and so evil. I know how you feel. But go home and go home in peace. All right, so that was President Trump on January the 6th, again making that speech after things broke loose in the Capitol. Uh, remember that he called for 20,000 National Guard troops to be stationed there to prevent any kind of violence, and Muriel Bowser ignored it. Uh, there's something really wrong with this picture. So as you watch, uh, this is not like a, an assumption, a scenario. This is not a, a thesis or someone's idea. This is stuff that we can prove in writing. This stuff happened. Uh, what they're going to do tonight is collect a series of things and video that will show the most incriminating things possible without any context. That's what they did right up front, and that's why they turned the American people against J6ers. There was no context about what was happening. And I want to go back to this uh, article in the Epoch Times, which is incredible. Maybe one of the most important articles, really, given given this week in the Times and the opening of this. And I commend it to you. We'll put it on Getter. It's video show, Unindicted Suspicious Actors Attacking the Capitol on January the 6th. This is the most concise, actually comprehensive uh, coverage of this that I have seen. And so let me go back. Remember, it's a, a, a guy who's a retired Marine, or he's a honorably discharged Marine, Bobby Powell, and he's been doing a radio show in uh, Sheboygan for a number of years. And so as a result of his videos, he went to all of these law enforcement agencies and tried to share that right after January 6th to share what he had seen, and none of them responded to him. None of them got back to him. And consequently, he's been thrown off all social media and lost his income. So, uh, But this is the story. Uh, he was supposed to retire. Powell was supposed to retire after his assignment on January the 6th. It was kind of like his swan song. But he was on the terrace on the east side of the Capitol when 20-year-old California, when a 20-year-old California man ran into his field of view. Dressed mostly in black, Hunter Allen Imke jumped up on a windowsill and started kicking in the glass in the multi-pane window. After smashing several of the lower panes, Imke made a fist and punched the upper glass. Police officers who sprinted into view knocked Imke off his perch and swarmed over him on the ground. As Imke was placed into handcuffs, a hostile crowd started to gather. The eight police officers involved in Imke's capture left. They left as quickly as they had arrived. Powell was surprised to find himself guarding the broken window. And the scene did not sit well with some of the bystanders. Does this make a, any blank sense to you all? A man with a red beard asked bystanders. I'm like, this is a blank trap, the man said in reference to the window. A man off camera said, this is definitely a trap. And then um, as Powell started picking up glass shards that littered the windowsill, he heard a voice from behind. Why don't you guys open up the rest of it? And Powell replied, because I think that would probably be illegal. The stranger's dress and demeanor stood out among the protesters passing by the window. He was wearing a black ball cap with an American flag patch. His face was covered with black and gray stri striped, with a black and gray striped neck gaiter. He walked into the East Terrace carrying a large white stick. It's not clear what became of that stick. He had a radio attached to a strap on the left center of his chest. On his left chest was a bite valve attached to a hydration pack on his back. As he pondered what the man was up to, Powell finished toying with the splintered glass. 
I'm just picking up garbage, he told the man. To Powell, that man was out of place. I knew he was an operator of some kind right away. He he was no protester. He was there on a mission. Powell took a few steps to his left and turned around with his camera rolling, just in time to see the same man pull out one of the lower glass panes and drop it to the ground. After the glass came loose, it appeared the man realized he was being filmed. He unceremoniously dropped the glass and stepped away, the video shows. Gavin Crowell, this is a different person, ran into the scene and shoved the man in black away from the window. Powell gave Crowell, that's the journalist, gave Crowell, the new guy who just ran up, a stern warning to stay away from the window. He said, do not go in there. As Crowell, the new guy on the scene, attempted to walk away, the man in black pursued him and gave him a shove that almost knocked him off his feet. It can't be heard on the video, but Crowell later said that the man in black shouted at him, Why are you breaking that window? Who do you think you are? Get out of here. Crowell seemed incredulous at being accused of what the man in black had just done. The man shoved Crowell again, then made a fist as if to strike him. Crowell put up his hands in surrender and walked away. Obviously, the guy in black was trying to cover his own blanking because he had seen my press helmet and the fact that I was pointing the camera right at him. So he didn't know how long I had been recording. He was just trying to cover his own blank. And then the guy leaves. He just leaves, never to be seen again. I've watched surveillance video. He just melts off into the crowd, and I can't see him anymore. Powell then moved over to the nearby Columbus doors, where a large, rambunctious crowd was trying to get into the Capitol Rotunda. He saw about a dozen men come running out or being shoved, out of the entrance by police. Some of the men had been maced. Clouds of tear gas streamed out of the entry. As Powell moved to the front of the line, a man who was holding the doors open used his right arm to shove Powell toward the entrance. Hold the line, the man shouted. Someone else screamed, hold the line. Like the first suspicious actor, this man had a calm demeanor and a military efficiency about him, according to Powell. He wore a green fleece zip-up jacket, a brown checkered neck gaiter, a camel pattern cap, and dark sunglasses. His gloves had bright lime green tape on them. To Powell, he looked out of place. Powell apparently didn't notice, but the first suspicious actor who broke the glass was directly in front of him, crouched down behind another man. To his right was Matthew Perna of Sharon, Pennsylvania, who, after becoming distraught over being threatened with years of imprisonment for being at the Capitol, committed suicide nearly 14 months later. Powell estimates he spent more than $20,000 over 16 months trying to get this story out. After he appeared on Newsmax, PayPal shut down his donation account. And um, he's now depending on Give, Send, Go to help him make a living. We need to have him on the show. He said he had four heart attacks in 16 months. Uh, The price that these people, the burden that these people, who are these people? I'll just, I'll name the committee. Let's try, let's start with them. Benny Thompson. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Jamie Raskin, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, President Joe Biden. The way they have, oh, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garden and Gard, Gar, Garland and all of his minions, they have destroyed people's lives, and they don't really care. You just heard Joe Biden's laugh about putting people in jail, but God willing. The truth will come out about this. I think this is one of the most incredible articles I've seen 
about all the people that we've always wondered. You know, who were those people? What's the story? Who are these people? And uh, I had no idea uh, that Bobby Powell had been there filming some of this. Not No idea about his story. And so I just wanted to, to commend that to you. All right, so it's going to start tonight uh, at 8 o'clock. And, you know, use your judgment. I probably will be, you know, forced to watch it because that's my job. But uh, it's going to be hard to watch. Um, I want to change the subject just a little bit in the few minutes that we have. Um, I guess, you know, I probably should go to elections for a second. I don't have, I still don't have a lot of results. I had hoped to open the phone lines and have you tell me the winnings. I do have one result for you. This was, um, this was in Montana. Ryan Zinke it had the support of the establishment and President Trump, but for the conservatives in Montana, he was not their pick because Ryan is not conservative. And Al Oswesky, who is a Dr. Al, they call him, barely lost. He lost by a point, 1.4 percentage points. Uh, so uh, I can just tell you there's tremendous disappointment in that western area. Uh, someone that I know, who, people who support policies to depopulate the rural west, and uh, um, Ryan Zinke is one of those. So there's a lot of disappointment on that. I had someone uh, write me. This is from... Sherry, she's asking me about the Oklahoma situation, and we haven't had a chance to talk about that. Their primary is coming up. We will do that. She's asking me about, um, she says she has a quick question about Mark Wayne Mullen. He's running as um, on the ballot to replace Senator Imhoff, and she's having trouble finding information. Go to iVoter Guide, and you can find out a little bit more about him, Sherry. But uh, my my friends uh, who are on the same page as me on issues say that Mark Wayne Mullen is a problem. And he's got some really great challengers. I can't tell you who they are right now, just because I don't have that in front of me. But um, my my information is to stay away from Mark Wayne Mullen because of uh, whatever it is that's specific about him. I'm go, I'm giving you general information coming from people that I trust who know more detail. Uh, for those of you that are election integrity, let me give you some something to be encouraged about. You know, we have this primary coming up, and this again is our chance to make a difference. God willing. If we can have a, a decent election, and there are people that are working, I've got so many of my friends are just working around the clock. I think of Cleta Mitchell, I think of Christian Adams, I think of Hans von Spakowski, I think of uh, Catherine Ingebrecht. And by the way, Catherine says in the past couple of weeks after the movie, you know, Two Thousand Mules, uh, a True the Vote has had hundreds of sheriffs and sheriffs associations come to True the Vote looking to work together. Catherine says it's one of the greatest breakthroughs to date, and they are partnering with the sheriffs to ensure they are equipped with surveillance cameras to stop ballot trafficking. That's good news. That's really good news. And in Michigan, oh, Michigan, they are on fire, and thank God that they are. I was going to play a clip of their Secretary of State, but I, I'm not going to do that because, because I don't have time. Maybe next week. Michigan voters are suing Democratic Secretary of State, uh, what's jo- Jocelyn Benson, uh, for taking $17 million of Mark Zucker's Zuckerbucks to tilt the election. And it's uh, Thomas More Society. That's our friend, my friend, um, Tom Brecka, out of Chicago. That's his group. Uh, they're leading the lawsuit. So that's pretty incredible. And um, Cleta Mitchell and other, uh, I'm sorry, a Conservative Partnership Institute, which is uh, run by Jim DeMent, have formed this Election Integrity Network, and it has a ton of partners, Heritage Action, Tea Party Patriots, Freedom Works, um, and other other things too. Uh, but let me just say that they are holding 
uh, these summits all over the country. And I have been remiss. Uh, I, get, I just have so much to track. But there's going to be one in North Carolina uh, this weekend, June 10th and 11th. It's at the Marriott Center, Center uh, City Center in Raleigh. And uh, it, these, I've heard nothing but absolute superlatives about this. Um, not just anybody is allowed in. They keep the press out, and they're very careful about who comes. So if you would like to go, uh, you can go to um, the Integrity Summit uh, election integrity network. That's their that's their website, and look for the North Carolina statewide Ele- election integrity summit and sign up. Okay, election integrity network. And if you're not in North Carolina, you know, look to see where else they're having them. They've been all a lot of places. In, I think Arizona. I think they've been to Michigan, and they have really these things have been so well attended, and they have really been knocking it out of the park. So let me suggest that if you're looking for what you can do to fight back, that's a great thing that you can do. Um, I want to follow up tomorrow. I you're going to hear from Vody Bakum. Vody is. I've been talking to you about what's happening at the Southern Baptist Convention in um, Anaheim this next week, and uh, we've been talking about this sex abuse report that made a big splash, and it was of course uh, sent to an organization. The organization that investigated the sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention is called Guidepost, based in D.C. Well, what a great idea. Wouldn't you want, you know, someone to investigate a big evangelical convention that is based in D.C.? So uh, we're now learning there are all kinds of false things in this report. I I hear the music, so I can't go into all that. But I'll just tell you this. They just posted, Guidepost is committed to strengthening diversity, equity, and inclusion and strives to be an organization where our team can bring their authentic selves to work. We celebrate our collective progress toward equality for all and are proud to be an ally to our LGBTQ plus community with a big rainbow. That's the organization that is presenting the report to the Southern Baptist Convention. Whose idea was that? All right, so you'll hear Vody Bakum tomorrow. He'll be, he's running for office there. It's a great interview. I think you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. God bless each and every one of you. Don't be discouraged. Our Lord is sovereign. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.